Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Resurrection City Church. Uh, my name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at Res City, and we're just thankful to have you worshiping with us on this frigid January morning. Is, is it just me? Or is this like the first time it's actually felt like January this January? I'm not complaining about that, um, but uh, yeah, it's cold out. That's the point. That's my point. Um, I'm going to pray for us here in just a second. We're going to get started with our sermon. Um, We are continuing our sermon series, uh, which we're calling Walking by the Spirit. And and the big idea for us is for a few weeks, as we kind of kick off the year, we start 2023, we start to think about, you know, what do we want to focus on? You know, what do we want to encourage people to be focused on as the new year starts? We think walking by the Spirit of God himself is a good place place to, 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 to camp out. Um, and by walking by the Spirit, what we mean is cultivating a sensitivity or an awareness in ourselves of the God who moves, who is uh, moving throughout the world, who is, is speaking to us, who is giving us guidance, wisdom, direction, power in some situations so that we may follow him and, and ultimately be, be led to be more like Jesus. And so in this series, we're kind of talking about different ways um, that God uh, moves through his spirit or calls us to move. And we'll talk about a pretty... Uh, maybe a surprising way or, or something that you haven't really experienced a whole lot today um, in, in this sermon. But I'm going to pray for us and then we'll get started. Lord, we, we thank you that as we talk about uh, walking by your Spirit, like Paul says in Galatians 5, we know that your Spirit is with us. And um, all we need to do is to become sensitive to that, God. I pray that as we uh, as we we, we um, talk about that today in, in a very specific way that you would be with us. You'd give us wisdom. Um, you'd help us to know uh, what it looks like to follow you in this way and all sorts of other different ways, God, we pray. All this in the name of Jesus, who your spirit leads us to be, uh, to follow and to be more like. Amen. All right, so I want you to kind of stop. You can close your eyes if that kind of helps you um, out in, in things like this. And think about a time where you were feeling very discouraged or depressed. You were just kind of feeling lifeless. But someone came along and they said something to you that totally changed your whole mood, all right? It could have been like a word of encouragement at work, right? Like your boss comes and says, hey, you're doing a really good job. It could have been, you know, before some, uh, you know, sport that you played in high school and before the game you thought, man, we don't have a chance to win this game. But your coach came and said, hey, we're going to beat these guys. We can do this. And it just kind of fired everybody up. Uh, Maybe it was a teacher pointing out some quality that they saw in you that you didn't know was there, right? Did you know you're one of the best painters that I've ever taught? Or maybe it was a a piece of news, something like the surgery was a success and they're going to make a full recovery, okay? Stuff like that has real power. Think about the impact. If you can think of a time where you experienced something like that, where would you be if no one had spoke that word to you? You can think about how that sort of transformed you in the moment. And and the point is that words like that have real power to change us, to change uh, how, you know, our our circumstances when we feel lifeless and dead by giving us new joy and energy, right? On the flip side, uh, not hearing a word like that can be a real challenge. It can kind of keep us or or maybe make us feel that lifelessness or that that deadness, Um, Earlier this year, uh, the Vikings special team coach, a guy named uh, Matt Daniels, said something at a press conference. I am a big enough fan where I watch press conferences every week, yes. 
um, he said something really interesting, I thought, that kind of, kind of got to the heart of like what happens when we don't communicate well with each other. And he's talking about the dynamic of communication between teammates and why it's so important. And he said, when there's a lack of communication, negativity fills the void. All right, it's not, it's, you know, it's not good stuff that fills that gap. It's always sort of negative things that crop up, things like anger or frustration or fear or distrust or depression. That's what fills the lack of communication or the gap between things, right? And so in all of those, all of these situations, these hypotheticals I just listed, you know, think about how not hearing a word would have affected the mood of the people in it, right? My supervisor never tells me I'm doing a good job. Like, what else am I supposed to think other than the fact that there must not be anything good to say? Um, you know, our coach isn't even trying to pretend we have a chance to win this game. Like, he must really think we suck. Um, no one has ever encouraged me on my artwork. I should just quit. Like, what's the point in continuing to try this? Or, man, the surgeon has been in there forever. Like, something must be really wrong inside of that operating room right now. I bring all this up because the big idea today is this. God speaks to us in all kinds of ways through his spirit, filling us with life like he did to Adam in the beginning. We talked about that in our first uh, uh, series in, or sermon in the series, kind of keeping anything negative from developing in a, this gap that could exist between us and him. And sometimes God uses the spirit to speak into us so that we may speak his word to bring life to others. And the biblical word for that is prophecy. Okay, so today I want to talk a little bit about this, this thing called prophecy and the Spirit of God and how it's a part of the experience of walking by the Spirit. Okay, but before we dive in, okay, I have to come clean to you, okay, to just be really honest. I kind of struggle in some ways to write this one because when I write sermons, I like to feel like I have some like a good experience with what I'm talking about. And to be honest, I actually don't have a lot of experience with this. It's kind of a, a foreign thing to me. It's a bit uh, mysterious. And I, I've been in contexts for extended periods of time where uh, prophecy was kind of a normal thing where people talked a lot about. And if I'm just being honest, I came out of that feeling like more uncertainty than clarity, maybe. Okay, and, and I've kind of carried with me that with me to a degree at least ever since then. And so I don't know where you're at with, a, with the, a, this idea of prophecy, right? You might be like me, you might not be. Um, you know, maybe you've been hurt by it in some way. Actually, I do know even people in this congregation I've talked to before have been hurt by kind of abuses of this, um, right? If that's you, that, that sucks. <laughs> that's a really hard part about this when God's voice kind of gets hijacked, or used in a way that is not going to bring life. And we'll kind of talk about this a little bit um, later in the sermon. Maybe you think it's called bogus. Maybe you're just kind of confused about it. Maybe you've never even heard of this before, okay? I realize there's a lot of different places that people can come to this topic of prophecy, right? And these are all real things, and I think it's important. And next week, we're actually going to talk about what it looks like when God doesn't speak to us, or like what are ways we can hear God's voice when there's nothing kind of very explicit coming to us from God, okay? And so it's important to acknowledge that, okay? But at the same time, and this is why we're doing this sermon today, the one thing we also have to reckon with when we, is that when we open our Bibles, it's there. <laughs> and not just like a little bit, but kind of a lot, 
right? If we actually pay attention to it, we find it's actually kind of a common experience for a lot of people in the Bible, especially in the New Testament church. And at Res City, we believe it's important to take Scripture seriously and to not shy away from anything in it, okay? We don't think we can just kind of, you know, pick and choose, kind of cafeteria style, even if it's uncomfortable or weird, what we're going to, you know, apply or or think about. We don't want to gloss over things, even when they're hard stuff. Like, we want to be real about what's in the Bible and just talk about it. And so we try to do that in all of our sermons. We think it's important to try to understand it and let it work on us instead of the other way around. And so because of all this, kind of, you know, where I'm coming from, but also the fact that it's just in Scripture, I felt like the best thing we could do today is just kind of simply unpack some texts um, and try to understand prophecy as it's described in Scripture. And so my goal is not really to convince you of anything necessarily, um, but to just try to equip you with some knowledge and context on this subject, kind of no matter where your starting point is. And then for us to just see what God does with that as we as a church try to walk by the Spirit like we've been talking about in this series and see if God is going to do anything. Okay, so here's the flow of the sermon. Here's how we'll kind of go from here. I want to try to define prophecy as we see it in the New Testament specifically. And then we're going to look at three texts that kind of help us understand what it looks like in practice or what it did at least at that time. Uh, Two from kind of uh, correspondence between Paul and some churches, some letters that he wrote, and then one story. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's start off with with some definitions, all right? And this is admittedly very tough. One of the hardest parts to understanding prophecy in the New Testament, I think, is actually giving it a good kind of one-sentence definition, right? Like I said, prophecy shows up a lot in Scripture. Like, we did a series, for example, this last summer through the book of Jeremiah. That's a prophet. But that's a different kind of prophecy, I think, in a lot of ways than what we find Paul talking about, for example. And that actually makes this kind of difficult, is it's not always exactly the same thing when we hear the word prophecy kind of come up. It's actually kind of, a, kind of a loose thing a lot of times it feels like. And so in New Testament churches, which is the setting we're going to be specifically focusing on today, here's a definition from a New Testament scholar named Gordon Fee talking about Paul's usage of the term. He says, Paul is referring to some kind of spontaneous utterance within a community, which is understood to be from the Holy Spirit, which is not absolute revelation since it must be tested. And we're going to talk a lot about what that means here as we go forward, and which for them is understood as evidence that God is in their midst. Such utterances were probably a means of their hearing from God, perhaps in the form of giving direction and encouragement. Okay, so let me just break this down, right? It's messages that are communicated within a church community, and that's super important that it's taking place within a church community, from someone who is sensitive to the Spirit to someone that God wants to hear some word, and it's given to point them in the direction that God wants them to go and to revitalize their spirit, okay? Now, you notice this is still kind of a loose thing. It's not not a ton of clarity. He's even kind of, he's using words like probably, right? So we don't actually know for sure everything that's going on um, here, but this is kind of the best way we can kind of describe it. All those elements are important. We're going to unpack them. But let me give you a little bit even more of a simpler definition. And this comes from a guy named Christian Dawson. He's either a worship leader or pastor. I can't, I'm not exactly sure, but out out at a church in Portland. And he says, prophecy is just to hear or share God's voice on behalf of an individual or group. Okay? Pretty simple, pretty basic definition. And I think these types of loose definitions make it much more approachable and maybe a little bit less kind of 
scary or just kind of intimidating to approach this, right? I'm speaking for myself. I'm not at all convinced prophecy needs to be some sort of like special sounding word or vision or prediction, right? Like you don't need to be predicting the outcome of an election to be doing prophecy. You don't need to be doing a cartwheel with worship music playing in the background and your eyes rolling back in your head to be doing prophecy, I don't think, right? I think oftentimes, or probably most often, prophecy simply looks like a word of encouragement or direction to someone at the right moment to lead them towards Jesus in life. You don't necessarily know where it came from. You don't know why you thought to say it. But being sensitive to the Spirit, you recognize that it might be from God, so you're willing to share it with somebody, right? Someone is confused, and they get a word that stimulates them towards God's purpose in some way, gives them some clarity or direction. Uh, Someone is discouraged, and they're given a word of uh, hope in Jesus. Someone's headed for disaster, and you try to compellingly point that out to them in love about what's going to happen if they continue on a certain path. Um, Maybe it's a message to a whole church community to sharpen people's focus on Jesus and hope in some way, right? I've had intentionally stated prophetic words spoken over me. Some of them I've found to be helpful. Some of them not at all. They've been too vague that I didn't even know what to do with it, right? It's just kind of difficult. And I have also had people say things to me that encouraged me, that gave me some direction, and the outcome led me to where God wanted me, but it wasn't explicitly stated as prophecy. So for example, in college, I knew, I was kind of feeling led by God, I felt like, to look into church planting, but I kind of assumed there was, you know, there was, you know, the only way you could get into ministry was to go down this normal path of like going to seminary. And I wasn't really sure how that would help me get towards, you know, where I felt like God was leading me of church planting, but I kind of felt stuck because I didn't know any other path. And a pastor of mine at the time, we were talking through all of this one day, and kind of hearing this, he kind of suggested to me, kind of unprompted, to try to do, you know, a different type of ministry education that I never heard about, something really robust, but inside of a church. He didn't have anything specific. There's no five-year plan that was included in it, but I had never heard that. It's something I never considered. And it just made me feel kind of unstuck in a lot of ways. And... um, I definitely don't think this pastor was, you know, considered it to be a prophetic word at the time, but it led me to where God wanted me and encouraged me in the moment. And from that moment after I heard that word, things just kind of started to line up to lead me directly to where, you know, this pastor had kind of suggested to me. It's kind of, things kind of started to line up as I started to think about this thing. And I, so I wouldn't be here, or at least I don't know if I would be here without that word. So what do you call that? Is that a prophetic word? I actually don't know. I'm not actually trying to, you know, t- uh, tell you I for sure think it was. I'll let you come to your own conclusions on that. It's just, I think my point is that there's a lot of mystery and there's a lot of wonder and, in- and in- you know, inspiring of God and moving. And we just need to, I think, be full of faith and be willing to be surprised, to be open, open to having God speak his life into us, right? Because you can take any word that you want and call it prophecy but it doesn't matter if the outcome and purpose are not lined up to kind of how we see it described in Scripture. Okay, and so we're going to talk about all of that here. So let's move on to kind of focus on some of these passages that kind of describe to us the character 
of New Testament prophecy, and we'll kind of make some observations about the character of prophecy along the way, okay? So here's what we're going to find as we go through these passages. I just want to set you up. Prophecy is spirituality with accountability. It needs to be tested. It's going to stretch us when we do it. It's messy, and the lens for prophecy is always going to be Jesus, Okay, we'll unpack all four of these as we go and we kind of see these described in different passages of Scripture. Okay? It is a sort of deep spirituality, though, is what we're going to find with some accountability. We're going to talk about all of the reasons that these types of things give us some accountability to that. So the first place that we see uh, the Apostle Paul talk about prophecy, it's his earliest uh, letter, we, we think, probably, to uh, the Thessalonian church in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-21. He says, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. All right, so based on the context of this letter, we're not going to get into all this stuff. And then what we read in another letter called 2 Thessalonians that most people think was probably written very soon after this, we can discern that there's some problem, and Paul is some problem related to prophecy in the church. We don't know exactly what it was, but Paul is saying this to them. I want the Spirit to be moving in your midst. Do not hinder it, okay? Make sure you walk by the Spirit, like we've been talking about in the sermon series. But the reason that I bring this up is that the prophecy going on in your midst has gotten a little bit out of control. Now, I don't want you to overcorrect and stop with the prophecy, but you need to put in some sort of structure into your prophecy, okay? Some sort of testing, that allows you to actually know if this is from God, and it's leading you towards where God wants you to go. All right, so the first thing we learn, the first kind of piece of character, the character of prophecy that we learn here is that prophecy is good, but it can be abused. Very clearly, that's what Paul is pointing at here, and so we need some tests to make sure that it is not being abused in some way. All right, think of it like this, okay? Think, just kind of, uh, this I think is a helpful analogy to help us understand, like, why it's so important that we get this right when we say, Hey, God is saying this, all right? Imagine you're a child, and you're playing at your friend's house. You're kind of over hanging out in their basement, playing with some toys or something, and you need to hear from your mom when she is going to come pick you up and how you're going to get home, all right? So you're just waiting for a call or something like that. And someone comes over, and they say, hey, your mom told me that you should walk a mile to the end of the road, and she'll pick you up there. Okay, and because it's supposedly from your mom, you do it, but you don't find out till it's too late that it was not actually from your mom that this came from. And now you're in trouble. Okay? You're lost, and maybe your mom can't even figure out where you're at, where you're at. And it's gonna take even more time for her to find you now. Okay, you kind of have to work backwards because this sort of word from your mom has been abused, right? And you're going to probably find it harder to trust when an actual message from your mom comes some other time that it might have actually been your mom speaking, right? There was no way to test that word, okay? Now, let's flip it, okay? Let's say that the same thing happens. Someone comes to you. They say the same thing, but your mom had told you beforehand, hey, I am never going to ask you uh, to go somewhere. I'm always going to come to where you are, okay? So I will come to whatever house you're playing at. I'm never going to ask you to, to leave and walk somewhere and I'll meet you there, all right? And so you hear that word and you think, well, this doesn't pass the test of what my mom had told me before, right? She always said she would come and get me, right? Or, or even further, someone says, hey, your mom is going to be here in 10 minutes. And you look at the clock and you, you see it's 3.50 and your mom had told you, 
I'm going to get you about four o'clock, right? You can, again, be, you can test this word and say, this sounds like my mom. This sounds like what she had said in the past. This passes the test, okay? You need some sort of structure or testing to know if it's actually your mom speaking, okay? And I think this is what Paul is setting up here. Prophecy is like this. It's from God whose word we need to know, just like we need to know our mom's voice in that moment. But because of the power it potentially holds, it needs to be verified. Because you can end up in trouble if you trust that it's your mom's voice or God's voice and it actually isn't. Now, what the test is here, Paul doesn't actually tell us. There's some hints maybe, you know, in, the, in Second Thessalonians as to what he's getting at. But I think it's, when we come to the, uh, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians, we actually find a, a really good idea of what maybe I think Paul would have said the testing needs to be, okay? Because Paul has a lot to say about the Spirit in prophecy in 1 Corinthians. So let's jump there. Let's jump to the second passage that we're going to talk about in today's sermon. All right, 1 Corinthians 14, 1 to 5. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speak to, speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you um, to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Okay, so there's a lot going on here. Let me give you a little bit of background just to kind of catch you up to speed of what's going on with the Corinthians here. So the Corinthians are looking to climb the social ladder, okay? And they are enamored with the spirit to an unhealthy degree because of what they kind of feel like it could give them personally, right? And they're especially infatuated and pleased with themselves for speaking in this thing called tongues. Now, we're not going to get into this today. It is just all you need to know if you've never heard of it before is it's, an, it's another spiritual expression. We'll actually try to talk about this in a, in a future sermon here in this series, okay? But for now, it's not really that important. The big thing you need to know is that the Corinthians are using kind of these spiritual signs to accrue this kind of capital for themselves, right? Almost like a competition for like who's the most spiritual. And they're using these things the Spirit had given them to try to make themselves look better compared to the rest of the people in the church. Okay, it was kind of a badge that they could wield around others. All right? And just kind of like to say, man, it's not just like the Corinthian church that has that problem. right? I mean, you can find stuff like that in, in any church that people are using to kind of compare themselves to being more spiritual or better Christians than the people around them. The Corinthians are doing it with these things from the Spirit. Okay, That's kind of all you need to know. And for Paul, this is a huge problem for a lot of reasons, but especially because it goes against the whole point of what the Spirit is supposed to be accomplishing, right? Again, he wants them to walk in the Spirit. He doesn't want them to quench the work of the Spirit in their midst, but he has some big-time corrections for them. And one of them is to encourage them to seek out prophecy because in his mind, it actually does more good than tongues. It is a better kind of higher form of spirituality, a deeper form of spirituality than tongues. For Paul, it, it is that because it opens us up to a kind of accountability to one another. It, it actually opens us up to connect with each other, okay? So let me go back to what he says here in a couple uh, points in this passage we just read. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, 
and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but one who prophesies edifies the whole church. All right? It's important that God gives us this gift of prophecy and that we understand that it's not for us, but it's actually for everybody else. Right? It's actually used to uh, build the church up. Strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And so when you prophesy, that should be your goal because it's the Spirit's goal ultimately. If that's not taking place, it's probably not prophecy. Okay? In fact, really, prophecy is not actually supposed to benefit the one speaking it really in any way. It's actually supposed to be for others and their own edification. All right? So this is kind of like a baseline test for us when we're talking about prophecy. All right? It's a kind of spirituality that stretches us beyond ourselves. Now, spirituality, like that's kind of a, a, you know, that's a popular thing for people both in and outside the church right now. A lot of people are kind of interested in this idea of spirituality, right? So, you know, people maybe do like yoga because it kind of, you know, helps center them, right? That's kind of a spiritual practice some people might do. Maybe you just like to go camping, but you think getting out in nature sort of connects you, you know, to the divine in some way, right? Some people even do like drugs for psychedelic connection, kind of thinking it's opening them up to kind of the, the spirituality, right? All of these are spirituality. I heard this at a conference earlier this week, and I thought it was just a great phrase. All of these are spirituality without accountability. Right? All of these are just things that we do to kind of help us out and have no accountability to anybody else. We just are doing it because we think it helps us in some way. Right? We have this lie today that accountability is a bad thing because it limits our freedom and that we should really be primarily focusing on building ourselves up in some way, just kind of doing whatever it takes to make, you know, us benefit in some way. Spirituality for the benefit of just us, I think Paul would say, is honestly not super important. He wants something deeper, and he's challenging the Corinthians to want something deeper in their own spirituality too, right? Where there is an accountability to one another, because that is a higher form of spirituality. Now, Christian Dawson, who I quoted earlier, he kind of he kind of talks about this, and he, he, he points out that prophecy is something that is actually going to stretch us because it doesn't allow us to be consumers, but actually servants of the people around us, okay? If we want to utilize this thing that God has given us to build up uh, our church, it's not something we can do just alone, right? We can't do it in the morning, over a cup of coffee by ourselves with no one else around. We, we, you know, we, it's not a spiritual practice that we can do for our own benefit, thinking it's just for us, right? This spiritual practice, this sort of deep spiritual practice is going to uh, help us to for, find a deep, deeper form of spirituality because, precisely because it is for the community. And for Paul, that is a deeper, higher form of spirituality. And this is why Paul says he wishes everybody did this. Because a community of prophets, of people who are prophesying to one another, isn't a group of people that are just seeking out their own benefit, kind of, you know, ships passing in the night, but is a truly edified church, right? Where words of life are spoken constantly and people are encouraged by each other, not with a false hope, but with God's own word for them. Where there isn't a gap in communication because God's voice isn't being heard, and where the speech to one another isn't serving some individual purpose, 
potentially tearing others down, but is being used for the purpose of building everybody else up. I think that sounds pretty cool, right? I actually think that when you think about prophecy in that way, it's a really exciting thing to consider for what it would do for a community. It sounds deeper than the consumeristic spirituality that a lot of times we might be tempted to chase after because it has an impact not just on us, but the world around us. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't working like that in Corinth and probably not in Thessalonica fully either, right? These people wanted some spirituality without accountability. So why was this? Why, you know, and I think as we think about why this kind of popped up a lot in Paul's churches, it kind of alerts us to another piece of, char- of the character of prophecy that we just have to be aware of as we seek it out, okay? And that's that prophecy can be messy because humans are messy, Okay, prophecy can messy because humans are messy. We saw this in the Corinthian church, right? Their desires for status within the assembly are overriding their ability to truly harness God's gift to them of the Spirit. They'd taken this gift from God and they had sort of twisted it, so now it's having actually the opposite effect of dividing themselves up, kind of tearing each other down at the expense of, uh, of the individual. And this is a really good reminder that sin is always going to be screwing with our ability to enjoy and utilize God's gifts, whatever those are, no matter how much we think we're above it. And I think if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, you kind of come to the conclusion that they thought they were maybe a little bit above this. Okay, But we're never going to be above this, not in this life at least, not as we're waiting for God to come and finally restore all things, including us. And crooked desires have led to lots of bad prophecy and harm. If you've had a bad experience with prophecy, there's a decent chance this is why. Right? And the fact that we see it in two of Paul's churches, and we can kind of easily find probably examples of this today, is just something that we have to note when we think about prophecy and our own sort of, you know, delving into it ourselves. Okay? It's just a reality of it, which is kind of a hard one to acknowledge, but one we have to admit. And complicating it even further, human communication is also really messy. Okay? Uh, one of the biggest disagreements that Julie and I have had recently was where we got into a much longer and much more probably intense conversation than we needed to about what the word tangy means. Okay, Julie's laughing. She was like, what are, what are you going to say? What, which one of these are you going to bring up here? Um, she asked what one night, like what I thought of some food she cooked. Like, what do you, what do you think about this? And I was like, you know, well, it was kind of tangy. And I don't know, it was good, but I don't like love tangy food. And then she lists all these foods that I like that she thinks are tangy. And she's like, I'm just really confused. Can you help me explain why you said that? And the funny thing was I was actually really proud of myself for thinking of a good word to describe it because usually I'm really bad at this. Like I'm, 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 I'm notoriously bad at communicating why I like the taste of something. So I was like, dang, tangy is a good word. And it actually was not helpful at all because apparently like we didn't agree on what tangy meant, right? So we're trying to communicate with each other, but communication between humans is just messy sometimes, right? We don't always have the same interpretations of things, and that can create some conflict or just some challenges to actually getting on the same page. And, you know, Julie figuring out, you know, what kind of food I like and me figuring out what tangy actually means, right? Okay, this is, this is important. And, and I think there's actually kind of an interesting uh, story detailing this in Acts when it comes to prophecy, 
All right, and so it's really interesting. Paul is headed to Jerusalem to meet with the church there and bring a financial gift with him. It's towards the end of the book of Acts. It's kind of a really important kind of moment in the story. But along the way, he's kind of ex- he's expecting this to go poorly too, for, for multiple reasons that, that we won't get into. But he still believes God wants him to go there. And along the way to Jerusalem, he's kind of stopping to see friends and other churches kind of just on the path to get to Jerusalem. And this happens. This is in Acts um, 21, verses 7 to 13. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea. After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt he tied his own hands with it uh, and feet with it and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. But then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So the expectation when this prophet comes and says, when you go to Jerusalem, Paul, you're going to be bound up like this. You're going to go to prison. The expectation, the the common sense way that it seems like most people are interpreting this is that it's a warning not to go, right? Admit it. If if you were about to go on a trip, you're like, you were going to go to Cancun or something. And like I came up to you and said, hey, I have a prophetic word from God that if you go down there, you're going to get in prison. You're going to be stuck in Mexico for like the next 20 years. You would probably, you know, you wouldn't go, right? You would be like, that's a, probably a good idea. Maybe I, sh- I shouldn't go, right? You'd assume that God is saying, steer clear of that. That's what everyone thinks in this situation, except the one getting the prophetic word, Paul, right? See, Paul believes that this is a word that's from God. He thinks it's real prophecy, but his interpretation of it is not that he shouldn't go. Right? And if you go back at the story and you actually look at what, what Agabus says, he never says the word from God says don't go. It just says this is going to happen if you go. Okay, And so Paul's read on it is that he should still go. Just now he realizes kind of he was expecting it to not go great. And now he realizes like, yeah, it's, it's going to go pretty poorly. Okay, So the prophet Agabus, the one actually saying the word, he has some partial info, but Paul has all of that and some more, okay? And this is really important when it comes to prophecy. Craig Keener, a a New Testament commentator, says this about what this story, prophecy informs, but Paul has a higher wisdom about what to do with it, okay? And so what we see here is that Jesus is the lens of higher wisdom that interprets and tests all prophecy, okay? Let me explain what I mean by this, okay? All inspired utterances, all prophecies ultimately have to find some fulfillment, some yes or no in Jesus himself. Okay? And this is, I think, a great example of, of Paul using Jesus as the lens to how to interpret this prophecy. So for Paul, headed to Jerusalem, wisdom rooted in self-protection and personal betterment, right? Like a lot of these forms of spirituality that I was talking about earlier, they would say run away. They would say there's no value in you still going here. But wisdom rooted in Jesus with an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus himself did, what it looks like to follow him and to find true life, 
when Paul says, I am prepared to go to Jerusalem for Jesus and even be willing to die if necessary, you realize that for him to follow Jesus sometimes means to follow Jesus even into hard things, right? Jesus himself also went to Jerusalem at the very end of his ministry, and he also got imprisoned in Jerusalem, just like what was going to happen to Paul. But in that, God did his greatest work. God vindicated and blessed not just Jesus, but everybody through that difficult work, right? Jesus knew what he was walking into too, and he still went and did it anyway. And Paul thinks, you know what? If I'm following Jesus in this, if I feel conviction that God is calling me to do this, and it's going to make me look like Jesus when I do it, that can't be a bad thing. And so what we see here is that Jesus is this lens, right, that reinforces actually this prophetic word to Paul that says, hey, your ultimate goal of following Jesus is actually going to take place by doing this. And Paul has this deeper wisdom to know how to apply this prophecy, okay? Prophecy is only of use to us if we use the wisdom of Jesus to apply it. Only then does it bring life because it leads us to him and the life and grace that comes from him. Okay, so how would we sum all of this up, right? Let's go back to 1 Thessalonians, okay? I think we have a really good summation with prophecy all the way back there when Paul says, do not quench the spirit, seek this stuff out. Do not treat prophecy with contempt, but test it all. Test it all, be very careful with it because prophecy serves us all, but we have to check our motivations before we truly seek it out, right? I can understand if you kind of, you know, going through all this stuff or maybe with your, your own experience with seeing other people, you know, do prophecy, like you might be like, well, what's the point, right? And that's, that's understandable. I can understand if that is kind of where you land with it. But Paul's response, knowing all this stuff, seeing it himself, is to still encourage us towards it, just making sure we're doing it wisely and for the right purpose, okay? Because think of what we're losing, when we say we're not interested or if we settle for lower forms of spirituality that just benefit us, right? We're losing a potential avenue to have God's life breathed into us, right? And not just us, but all the people around us in our church, if God so chooses to move through us in that way. To have a community be edified, to be strengthened and comforted through God speaking to us. Okay, prophecy can be messy sometimes, yes, but I mean, when you really think about it, like, I just, you know, as a pastor, I can tell you there's no such thing as not messy ministry, okay? It's all messy, right? All use of gifts from God are messy, right? If you serve in any ministry setting, right, whether it's, it's something large or something small, there's always some messiness in it, right? And if we go even further, the gospel itself is messy, right? The gospel is about a guy getting killed on a cross. That's pretty messy if you ask me. But it didn't stop Jesus from still walking into it, from coming, from dying, and rising again. So there must be something to this kind of messy, incarnational work of the Spirit that is still worth it for us, despite the mess, right? The chance to have God move by meeting us where we're at, to experience life even in the midst of death. 
and to be part of it, to get to take part in it, to be a midpoint from God to the people around us that we truly love. And we want to see strengthened and encouraged and edified. Okay, now there's still a lot of mystery. There's still a lot of wonder to this, all right? I, I, am, I, I know that this is something that, you know, there's a lot of questions you might still have around it. And I would encourage you, if that's something you're feeling challenged, as we, as we as a church try to continue to walk by the Spirit, like what we're talking about in this series, right? To, to seek it out, to check your own uh, motivations as you do it, though, right? But please, if you feel led, seek this out more. Try to learn more about it in a good, healthy way, but with these sort of structures around it that we see Paul talking about. Because I talked at the beginning about how necessary words are to give us life, especially from God. It matters that God speaks to us, right? It matters that there's not a gap in our communication between him. And prophecy is not the only way that this takes place. Let me be very clear about that, okay? There are lots of other avenues for God to speak, but this is one that gets talked about in Scripture, and so I think it's at least worth it for us to consider, okay? I don't want any gaps to develop between us and God, all right? So we as a church, I just want to encourage you to think about this, all right? I'm going to uh, close us in some prayer, and then we're going to head into a time of, of communion. Um, I would say uh, the things we're about to do right now is another way that God speaks to us sometimes. He speaks to us in worship as we kind of sing these words along, and we find a lot of times, you know, our soul right, the things that we're feeling, finding harmony with the words that we're, we're worshiping God with. And God truly meets us sometimes when we worship through song. That's why we do it every week. And often we're going to find God speaking to us in communion, which we're about to take as well, right? As we go over to the plate and we reflect on the fact that in order for God to speak to us, to bring us the life that Jesus gives us, it had to be messy. He had to be crucified, Right? His body needed to be broken. His blood needed to be shed for us. And we do this every single week to tune ourselves to that reality so that we might be people who are soaking ourselves in that wisdom so we might know how to follow Jesus. Right? When we get prophetic words and when we don't, just knowing what it means for us to follow after Jesus to the way that leads us to life, the one that he secured for us in his death and resurrection. Okay? So you don't have to be a member here at Red City to partake in, in uh, communion. We just ask that you're a follower of Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us and we'll head into that time. Lord, we thank you that you are a speaking God, that you don't, you're not a deist God, one who kind of starts things off and then just, you know, takes, a, you know, just takes, takes a retirement, an early retirement after that. You're a God who is intimate and is moving and is speaking in our lives, God. And we see that in all sorts of different ways, um, Lord. But this is what we talked about today is one avenue that we've seen you move, Lord, both in your New Testament church and I believe we see it today sometimes too, God. I pray that if you want to lead us towards that, that you would give us wisdom to help us know how to do it well in a way that blesses the whole community that we're a part of. Lord. Uh, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.